Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Jay Jackson. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Quentin. Nice to be here. Absolutely. So, Jay, uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into your story. I'm really looking forward uh, to kind of learning more about you, uh, the book that you recently came out with. But before we kind of cover all of those things, I want to ask you a few questions I like to call the conversational starter questions, just to kind of get our conversation going, so to speak. So uh, I would like to know, first of all, Jay, how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most mornings and on most days? Uh, yes. And the ritual has changed in the last couple of days because I just got myself a CPAP machine. I'm in my 50s now, and I did a sleep study and and found out that I was waking up 80 times per hour. Um, so got myself a CPAP machine, and it's my morning's actually starting a lot better. As much as I didn't want to accept that machine, it is it is the greatest thing going right now for the last two days. But after I wake up now with my CPAP, um, I get into a cold shower, uh, make sure make sure I'm under the cold water for about two and a half minutes. Um, then I switch, then I switch to warm, then I get my clothes on and then I just step outside. I uh, just want to get some sunlight on my eyes, wake myself up. And then I go and get myself a warm beverage, you know, some coffee or tea, something, and just sit there with my thoughts for about 10 to 15 minutes before I really start my day. So it always goes a uh, cold shower, walk outside, um, get myself a cup of tea or a cup of coffee where I can just sit there quietly. Um, I will say in the past, I used to like sleep as much as I could and get up with no time. And um, now that I'm older, I want to kind of slow down, slow down my day, um, make sure everything, everything starts out well. Hmm. Okay. Now, a couple of things I want to touch on from what you just mentioned, Jay. First of all, let's talk about the CPAP because uh, I know uh, that's something that, uh, you know, uh, you know, like the sleep apnea and sleep disorders in our culture for various reasons, that's something that, uh, you know, a lot of us, I don't think even realize we have maybe sleep issues because we're just so accustomed to maybe feeling droggy or not feeling that well or sluggish throughout the day. But it is a, an epidemic, I would say, in our in our culture, in our country. So talk a little bit about how you came to do a, a sleep uh, study or uh, analysis. Why, why did you do that? Um, and then just talk a little bit about the CPAP. I know it's just something recent, but um, has it been something easy for you to kind of like um, get uh, accustomed to or, or not necessarily? Sure. Uh, first off, my wife is paying attention to me at night. Um, I'm, I was snoring as much as I wanted to say, no, I've got nothing wrong and, and try and deny it. Um, she had me, she signed me up for a sleep study. She's a nurse, so she signs me up for lots of tests. Um, so I went in and they they hooked me up with everything. And basically, basically what came out was in an hour, I was waking up 80 times. And I didn't know that because you're asleep, because you're asleep and, and your memory is not there. So that made total sense because when it came to, when I'd wake up in the morning, I'd be tired um, at like one o'clock in the afternoon, I would be tired. So went and did that study. It was an eye opener for me. And then got this, got this machine and the machine will tell you how many times you wake up at it, wake up during the time. So last night, for example, I had the machine on for five and a half hours. I slept more than that. Um, but I had the machine on for five and a half hours and I woke up five times, which is a lot, 
five times in the five and a half hours, which is a lot better than 80 times in one hour. So um, I feel really good. It's, it's really, it's really something that should be marketed as a performance enhancer, really. Um, because if you're tired, you can't really, you can't really perform well at anything. So um, that's, that's my story. And I'm, I'm a big fan of it now. Um, it's not easy. It's not necessarily easy to get used to. Um, I've got the nose one, but it's something that, uh, that is well worth it for me. So I'm going to continue doing it. And is it uh, actually sleep apnea? Is that kind of the disorder that you were diagnosed with or something else? Yeah, it's sleep, sleep apnea, which to me, I, you know, I see myself and I think, think to myself, I'm in pretty good shape. I shouldn't have sleep apnea. That's something for other people, but uh, I've got a small, small windpipe and I've got, you know, a big jaw. And evidently when you, when you fall asleep and everything relaxes, then things close up. So I think, I think it's something that even if you're in, in really good shape, maybe you get that checked out. Yeah. Great point. Um, now the other thing I want to touch on in terms of kind of your morning, uh, routine or ritual, Jay, the cold shower. Now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, pretty big into like the, the health and fitness space. So I know that, um, some sort of, uh, cold exposure, whether it's like a, a tub or a shower or a, a river or something like that, depending, per, depending upon where you live is, uh, you know, this is something that's been being practiced for quite a while now for various reasons, but, for you, why the cold shower? How does it positively impact you specifically doing it in the morning? Well, I did some research on Wim Hof about three years ago. Um, and and they have all this research on cold showers. It it gets your blood flowing, it wakes you up, it's all these, all these things. Plus, if there's something that's gonna put you right in the moment where you're not thinking about other things, it's a cold shower. Once that water hits, now I'm focused on you know, dealing, dealing with that. And it, and you don't get used to it. It's not something that, you know, now it's, it's so much easier. It's, it's still cold. Um, but it does, it wakes me up, it gets my blood flowing and it's something to be honest, it's something I need in the morning now. Like if I don't, if I don't get a cold shower, I don't feel like I'm ready for the day. Um, so I don't know, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent. And I think there's, I think there's health reasons, but also just mental reasons just to get you, get you focused on what you're doing. Love it. Excellent. Okay. Uh, the second question here, Jay, uh, and, and we're going to get into your book, uh, but I would like to know uh, at this point, do you have a favorite like all time book or a book that you like to gift often? And then if you do listen to, uh, to, to podcasts, um, do you have a favorite or go to podcast? So favorite or uh, most gifted book? And then if you do listen to podcasts, do you have a favorite podcast or a go-to podcast? I have a number, I have a number of favorite books. Um, you know, first of all, anything written by, written by Joe DeSena, I like, um, because it's, they're just the kind of books I like because they're self-help books. Um, but it's like Joe is yelling at you and he's yelling at you for good reason um because he's going to he's going to get you get you fired up so i like anything he writes um and secondly i would say my most gifted book is called season of life by jeffrey marks um it's about it's about a football team uh gilman high school football team uh in maryland dc area that um the emphasis is on creating better men not about winning it's about creating better men and they say to do that you know you need to you need to use whatever talents you have to the best of your ability. You have to find a purpose beyond yourself and you have to build relationships with people. And because they do those three things, um, these coaches, 
the success comes. It's not, their focus is creating better men. Um, but what happens is that team is, you know, when the coaching staff was there, it was typically nationally ranked based on the fact that if you have good relationships with your teammates and you love each other, um, you have a purpose beyond yourself. It's not about you scoring points. It's about, it's about the team. Um, and if everyone's trying as hard as they can, uh, then those results are going to come, but it's not focused on results. So I, I love that book. Now, when it comes to podcasts, I'm a history teacher. Uh, so revisionist history, Malcolm Gladwell is my fave. Um, and I've listened to every one of them. I hope he comes out with more because he uh, thinks about things in a very, very different way. Um, and it really gets me thinking about stuff. I like any podcast, any book that gets me gets me motivated or gets me thinking about how I can do things maybe differently and how I can improve myself. Love it. Okay. So uh, let's talk about uh, your book. It's called uh, Up to the Challenge. Um, I just want to give you, I just want to kind of give you the platform at this point, Jay, uh, to kind of just take, uh, you know, your book in the direction that you want to take it. So like, you know, what's it about? Why did you write it? Kind of give us the a synopsis, so to speak, of, uh, you know, all things up to the challenge, because uh, I'm curious and um, fascinated or, or interested in uh, what, why you wrote it and what it's all about. So this is kind of a long story and you'll probably have questions because I'm going to try and condense it the best I can. Um, but initially, initially, um, I grew up, grew up in Mercer Island, Washington, which is a, which is a kind of a white collar, white collar area, pretty affluent area. But my dad was the PE teacher at the high school, also the wrestling coach and former Green Beret. So he didn't want his kids to be soft. So um, my brother and sister and I, he would issue difficult challenges for us. Now, my dad was very good at, at offering, you know, difficult challenges, but also offering the same level of support. If you're going to, if you're going to try and create gritty kids, um, then you've got to demand, but you've got to support the same amount. There's a lot of people that demand stuff that don't offer that support. And it doesn't quite work out well. My dad was good at both. Um, so he would, he would challenge us with stuff and, and, you know, help explain why we were, why we were doing certain things. Um, now, one of those things, one of those things was, you know, during wrestling practice, he would have us wrestle blindfolded. And, you know, it's it's something, something we got used to because, because now you're taking, you're putting a blindfold on, you've got to find out where the body parts are and stuff like that. Um, it was interesting, but his point was if you wrestle blindfold, when you take the blindfold off, things are going to be much easier uh when you when you can see. So Fast forward, my brother and sister and I all go to Stanford. Um, I wrestle at Stanford. And then um, after I graduated, I stuck around to be an assistant coach. And I was also working in advertising. Um, that's what I thought I wanted my career to be. So I do my advertising job during the day and then coach in the afternoon. Um, and then during that, during that year, I had some man come up to me um, and he basically started a conversation with me, asked me for, asked me for a ride. I gave him a ride. Um, and he's telling me these things about him. He's, you know, from Brazil, he's a computer science graduate student at Stanford. Um, all this, all this stuff seemed like a good guy. Um, and then he said, my car is going to be in the shop. Can you, can you potentially give me more rides? And I said, well, I'm done with practice at about six, six or seven o'clock. If you're out here for sure. Um, then this guy, what I didn't know is he was stalking me. He had been stalking me for, for at least a year and a half, possibly two years. Um, and he one night got his way into my, into my condo. Um, my roommate was out of town. 
and he pulled a gun on me, um, tied me up, blindfolded me, tied my hands behind my back, and my feet together. And then for about, you know, it was, it took about three hours and I was able to undo myself. I was able to, you know, I was still blindfolded, but I was able to undo my hands. And then, you know, at, at some point, at some point he's telling me I'm still tied up and blindfolded. He's telling me, um, if you, if you just go to sleep, I promise I'll leave. So I pretended to be cold and I pretended to shiver. So he put a blanket over the top of me. I was able to get my hands undone without him seeing, and I'm still blindfolded. I made a noise. He came closer towards me and then I jumped him. Um, you know, jammed his head between the chair next to my bed and the bed, um, got on, got on top of him. And then, you know, my feet are still tied, so I've got to keep him down. But in that situation, in that situation, I felt comfortable because my dad had made us wrestle back in the day with, with blindfolds on. Um, so I felt like, and it was dark in there anyways, I felt like I had the advantage in that situation. Um, and I was able to, you know, beat him up a little bit and then they carted him off the hospital and then to jail. Um, but, if you have a near-death experience, um, it's not something I would want to do over again, but it is a blessing because then you have to evaluate your life. Like how, what am I doing? What am I doing for society? How do I want my life to be? Because you understand really quickly that life is precious. So I was in advertising, like I said at the time, and it just didn't seem like that meaningful of a profession for me. So I decided I was going to do something else. And what could I do to, to make the world better? So I decided I wanted to do for other young people what my dad did for me, you know, teach me how to appreciate and be grateful for challenges. So um, I signed up for graduate school to get my master's of arts and education um, and got my teaching credential. And then as I, as I, you know, got to be a teacher, my main goal was I want to teach kids how to take on challenges in the best possible way. Because if you look at school, um, school, is a, school is a series of challenges. It's homework, it's it's assessments, it's projects, it's speeches. These are all challenges that you're going to be going to be given. And a lot of kids, unfortunately, don't appreciate it. They're a victim to these challenges. So I want to um, be the teacher that was helping them, helping them understand, you know, performance character concepts. And performance character, it's... There are basically two types of characters, moral character, which is how to be a good person and selfless. And then there's moral character, which is how to take on a challenge in the best possible way. It's the mindsets and behaviors to best take on a challenge. So I wanted to focus on that in my classroom. Um, and over, over the 19, 20 years, I think I've been teaching, um, I've kind of, I've kind of narrowed my, narrowed my focus down to, I think, nine things that a student, student should be aware of. Um, which involves um, self-awareness and integrity. Those are kind of the bases of performance character because I have to know what I do well and I have to know what where I can improve. That's self-awareness. Integrity, I have to be able to do things the right way because if I don't, if I make things easier for myself, the challenge, then it's not the same challenge. Um, and then I've got to I've got to be passionate. And for me, passion is purpose um, along with emotion. I have to have a reason for doing something. And if it's supercharged by emotion, then it's something that's going to motivate me. Now, in my situation, I I have my purpose. I want to make kids better versions of themselves and help them learn how to take on challenges. And that's supercharged by emotion based on, based on the situation I had with the stalker. Um, now, you'd think it would be fear or anger that would be the emotion that would drive that, but it's overall gratitude for the dad that I had that taught me how to take on take on and give myself challenges. 
Um, once you're passionate about something, you're motivated to do it, and then you have to persevere through it because it's going to be tough, you know, pursuing, pursuing some challenges. So if you're talking perseverance, there's, there's three parts to that. In my opinion, one's positive mindset. I've got to believe I can do it or else I won't persist. Um, I've got to have courage because you're going to have to deal with fear while you're doing difficult things. And then last thing is just commitment. You have to put a ton of effort into it. So those three things constitute perseverance, put passion, perseverance together. That equates to grit. Angela Duckworth says uh, grit is passion plus perseverance for long-term goals. Um, and then if I'm gritty working on a challenge, um, then I'm focused I'm focused completely on the challenge. I'm I'm outside my comfort zone. I'm motivated to do it. And I know how to deal with that stuff. And if, if you're ever um, so focused on something, then that leads to flow, flow state where you're not worried about anything else. You're just focused on the challenge that you're doing. So I think, I think if you focus on these things, these, these tenets of performance character, um, you're not only going to be successful, but you're going to be happy because if I'm, if I'm gritty or in flow state and I'm focused on a challenge, I'm not thinking about my monkey mind and all the other stuff that's going on. I'm not worried about, you know, what I'm going to have for dinner or what test is coming up and stuff like that. I'm just focused on the challenge. So I think that can make kids, kids happy and successful at the same time. And that's, that's my goal. So that's what, that's what the book is. The book is for educators um, to, and it's designed. I've got 20 tools in the book that are very simple diagrams that a teacher can toss up in front of a class and those diagrams are coupled with questions. Um, so kids can construct their own opinions about performance character because it's all personal to the individual. Like my comfort zone, your comfort zone are going to be different. Um, same thing, same thing with the kids. Um, you want to have, have these discussions and these are meant to have like a 10 minute discussion class. So you can start thinking about, you know, some concept of courage or some concept of commitment. Um, and then, and then after you have, after you have that discussion, um, then now it's in front of their mind. Um, and it's stuff we don't talk about in school. We talk about, we talk about the content, but we don't talk about like help these kids, how to get through these, how to get through these challenges. And for me, what I do personally is I'll have that 10 minute conversation with them using the diagram. I'll put the diagram up on my wall and then I'll give them some sort of content specific challenge that's going to help them, you know, not only learn the content, but work on the performance character trait. So um, for example, I've got a diagram on comfort zones. We have a 10 minute conversation about comfort zones. Uh, usually they come up with, it's important to get outside your comfort zone for these reasons. Um, they construct that knowledge. And then I'll give them the challenge I give them in my history classes. I want them to come up with a 10 act interpretive dance of the French revolution in groups, which is outside the comfort zone of many kids. Um, so not only are they learning about the French revolution, but they're also learning about how to get outside their comfort zone. Then when we're done with that challenge, I'll go back to the diagram and say, all right, um, how did you do, you know, was it, how did you feel before we did this performance? How far did you get outside your comfort zone? How'd you feel about, would you do it again? Those type of things. So that way I can teach, I can teach content and performance character at the same time. That is my long-winded response in a nutshell, Quentin. Um, but that's, that's what the book is about. Excellent. Okay. Um, now we're going to come back to some things that you shared in regards to uh, the book and a little bit of your life story, but I want to work through our, through these questions. And then I want to kind of take a, a, a deep dive into your story. So we're going to kind of come back to some of the, the things that you mentioned in terms of, uh, you know, the stalker and, and, and some of that stuff. But um, so let's, uh, let, I want to ask you next, Jay, 
Uh, within, uh, I, I have it uh, as the last year. So the question is, what life lesson have you been taught or learned in the last year? Now, I just have year listed just because I want to kind of be something within recent times. It could be two years ago. It could be six months ago. It could be a lesson from yesterday. But within recent times, what's a life lesson you've been taught or you've learned? Uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us, Jay, please. Sure. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to say it deals with, with integrity. Um, and I say this because I think the life lesson is that integrity needs to be in the forefront. Um, you know, back, back like 15 years ago when I was teaching, um, if I'd ask kids the question, like what's more important success or honor, um, everyone would say honor. Now in my classes, three quarters, if I ask what's the difference between success and honor, um, you know, it's, Three quarters of the class says success, and they're they're brazen about it. You know, this is this is what we do. Um, it's it's what I need to do to survive. So, um, I think the pandemic had something to do with that. I think when it was online classes, students students um, they didn't have to work as hard. Um, they they cheated. They were very upfront. They cheated a lot during during the pandemic at my school, um, but. Like the lesson I learned is that 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 whole integrity piece is very, very important to talk about with kids um, because it's kind of understood, at least at my school, that, yeah, we cheat and that's what we do and it's fine. Um, so I want to I want to make sure it, if kids are going to cheat, that's that's fine. But I want it to be an educated decision, not just something that they're they're choosing to do because everyone else is doing it hmm. now. uh do you feel like, Jay, uh, I, I think that's very intriguing. I think that's a great perspective that you just, uh, or observation that you have. Um, now, is it fair to say because of social media, uh, and that's where a lot of the younger generation is spending uh, a lot of their time, uh, and, and obviously there's other influences, but I'd say primarily some form of social media. Do you feel like that is influencing maybe a lot of our youth in terms of like, hey, it's all about success, you know, because you get on Instagram, you get on TikTok, they're seeing Lamborghinis, they're seeing people, you know, uh, making it rain by throwing up $100 bills and just all the, the craziness that this world has to offer through social media. And a lot of times it's, it's a rented Lamborghini, it's fake money. There's so much fake out there, especially through the lens of social media. But, you know, younger people sometimes maybe know that, maybe they don't, but they, they're they continually being exposed to it, right? This, this success equals, you know, a Lamborghini. Success means more followers on Instagram. Success means money or a, 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 a cute significant other. Talk about that, how you feel like maybe, if, if you feel this is truth, how social media has maybe uh, swayed our youth and these next generations to focus more on success and that success at any cost, right? In terms of cheating, like you're talking about in regards to being the best version of yourself or having that strong integrity, like you said, maybe 15, 20 years ago, that was a little bit more prevalent when you talked about this stuff with students. Yeah. Um, I think it's always been there. The, the outcome, outcome focused goals, like I want the I want the big house and and all the money and stuff like that. I think social media certainly magnifies it um, because you're you're exactly right. You're gonna you're gonna see that that stuff and you know that's all you see. You don't see you, no one's gonna post 
No one's going to post like a parent is not going to post at the soccer game today. My son really improved. It was really neat to see. It's always my son, you know, scored, scored three goals, you know? Um, and it, it does make sense because, because if you're, if your purpose is improvement, it's not as exciting as saying like my kid got, my kid got all A's or they're taking this many AP classes. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's easier to talk about outcomes, but again, social media has, has taken it to a whole, whole new level. Mm -hmm. Um, social media, it's interesting because there's so many good things that can come out of it, but, and it's, it's definitely a tool to make, make the world better. Um, but it's also a tool to feed on people's egos. And, and, and I, I think the human condition, we have two, two fatal flaws that we have to deal with every day. And one of those fatal flaws you know, deals with the performance character stuff. It's, it's uh, that we're just, we're naturally lazy. We want to, we want to just make things as easy as possible for ourselves. That's, that's kind of what your brain is pre-programmed to do. Like, for example, I like to work out, but it's a struggle every day. You know, my, my brain tried to tell me to quit every day, you know, so I have to find a way, I have to find a way to push through that. Mm -hmm. Um, The other fatal flaw is, is our ego. It's we're selfish. People are, people are selfish and we want to, we want to get attention and we want to prove that we're better than other people by putting them down. And we want to make ourselves seem better than we actually are. And those are three things social media just feeds off of, you know, it's going to give me attention. It, I can, I can, I can, you know, make myself appear better than I actually am by not posting my failures and stuff, just posting my successes and when I'm looking good and when I'm eating some amazing thing. Um, and then last thing is it's, you know, people use it to put people down. If we didn't, if, if the focus wasn't on that, it was on other things and improvement. Um, I think we'd be so much better, but it's hard, you know, it's hard to post things about improvement on social media. Mm. And then, you know, even if you are showing yourself improving, then that's, you trying to get attention and, you know, showing you're better. Cause I'm improving. It's very confusing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say too. I would say too, when it comes to, when it comes to technological stuff and we're talking about integrity, these kids, the ability to cheat is so much more than I had, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to cheat, you'd have to write up things on the bottom of your shoe or, or, you know, you know, you'd have to do that stuff. Now you've got chat GPT that can write a, write an essay for you, um, in, in two seconds. So it's, it's a lot harder for them to to be honorable, I think, because there's so many opportunities to cheat um, in their lives. So that's my answer to that. So uh, when you catch a student in your class cheating or you get uh, wind of a student cheating or, or whatever, how, how do you individually, Jay, how, how do you approach that student or students? Like what's, what's the, uh, What's the steps that you take because you are somebody who is trying to create, you know, accountability, character, integrity within your students and the grittiness and all the things you mentioned about up to the challenge, your book. Um, so and and I'm asking this for, for my for myself personally and then anybody else that's listening that is curious about this from somebody that has your experience within the, 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 the teaching realm. How can we. Uh, help these students who are caught doing something wrong, like cheating. How can we how, how can we better navigate that so we're not just maybe lashing out at them or yelling at them or you know calling them something that we shouldn't call them, but help direct them in a more positive way? Because we all make mistakes. 
I right. cheated in high school. I cheated in college. Like probably 99.9% of the people listening to this in some way or regard have cheated in life. Uh, but hopefully if we do have that integrity, we're going to realize we did something wrong and, and, and go in a different direction and, and learn from that. So how do you approach uh, that Jay, please? That's a great question. Um, how I deal with it as a teacher is, is learning and improving always supersedes everything else. So, um, and, and this is a great opportunity for them to learn, you know, keep learning the material, but also keep learning on how to be, become a better person that's going to take on challenges better. So for me, they'll get, they'll get a zero on the assignment. If I catch them cheating on a test, they'll get a zero on the assignment and whatever the, the school gives, I don't, they give detentions and stuff. I, I typically don't do that. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a talk with me. Um, and let's talk about why you did this, you know, what you could do differently. Um, but I'm the teacher that also, I allow them to turn in late work for full credit. I allow them to retake any test, any test for full credit. Um, so when it comes to like, say they cheat on a test, I'm gonna have that conversation with them about what's going on and they're going to get a zero, um, on that, on that particular assessment. But, um, I will allow them to retake that test for full credit. Um, because it's, you're right. I mean, we've all, we've all done it. We've all made, made mistakes and stuff. Um, you, you can feel bad about it, you know, for, for a second, but then let's learn from it, move on, you know, and I want to give them the opportunity to continue learning because they're cheating because they don't understand the stuff. I want them to understand it, you know, so I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them that opportunity. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's like, it's like, it's like a Spartan race, for example. You're supposed to, if you miss a, if you miss a, you know, obstacle, you're supposed to do 30 burpees. Yeah. But if you go to, if you go to races, a lot of people won't do it. And I'll be very honest. When I miss the spear throw, which happens um, 90% of the time, I practice that thing so much, and then I get in the, God, it drives me crazy. Um, but the first thing that goes through my head is no one's watching. I could just, you know, I could just get out of here. I could just do five and leave. But I also know that if I finish the race and let's say I get a good time, um, I can't, I'll look back at that. It'll eat at me. Cause I, I didn't really do it myself. And that's what I want. That's what I want kids to understand. Like here, the challenge is to get this thing done and learn the stuff. And you haven't, you haven't quite done that yet. And if you faked it, then that's not, that's not it either. I want you to, I want you to earn it. And then you're going to feel good about it later. So um, that's what, that's what the conversation is about when I have that conversation with them. Okay. Now, before uh, we get too deep into your story and I forget, I also want to ask you, uh, Jay, in regards to kind of like building rapport and building, uh, relationships with students, uh, because, you know, I personally work with a lot of youth in, in the gym that I own. And then, uh, I've taught physical education in the past and, and just very passionate about youth, right? Like that's one of my main focuses and, and passions in my life is the next generation of youth. So I'm curious, how do you uh, build rapport? How do you build relationships with young people? And that can be, you know, in the classroom, that could be on the field, uh, you know, uh, uh, friends of your, your, your kids. Like, what does that look like in action for you or maybe how have you observed other adults building that rapport and relationships with uh, young people, students that maybe you're like, man, that that's that's a great way to do that. Um, just as you've gleaned from others uh, throughout your life. So how do we build rapport? How do we build relationships? 
with young people. That could be our own kids, students, uh, athletes, what have you. So what I've learned from very good teachers that I've, I've been able to observe is that if you have good relationships with the kids and they know you care about them, um, that's the most important thing. Um, so if, if the kid knows I, I care about them, um, then yeah, it's, then you, then you've got them. Mm -hmm. So for me, how do I show I, I care about a kid is number one, by paying attention to him. Number two, by asking questions. If I find out, like I found out a kid in my class was like a semi-professional snowboarder. And I found that out at the end of the year, which was shocking to me. Um, so went in and asked him a bunch of questions about that and that, you know, that fostered that relationship better. Um, you can, you can always, you can always ask questions. Um, also like the tools, tools I have in the book, um, it, it helps me understand students better. Cause I'm asking, it's not me lecturing to them. You know, this is what you need to do. It's here's, here's a question. How do you best do this? Where are you on the diagram and how do you best deal with this? And what we get, the, the process that the book talks about is being used, you know, across the country, but specifically in a, in a school in West Virginia and a school in Denver. And what the, what the teachers and students are saying, um, first of all, the teachers say they're getting more out of their students. Um, but more importantly to me, the students are saying like, my teacher actually cares about me. They care about what I, what I think, um, which, which I always have a question at the end of my, end of my class and of my school year is like, did you learn anything from this class? Um, if so, what was it? If not, why didn't you learn anything? And that came across too. Like you actually, you actually care about, you know, what we think. It's not just you saying, this is what we need to do. Um, so I think that, that builds a relationship. So for example, like I have a, I have a diagram on integrity and, you know, these kids, I'm very different. I, you know, I'm at the point in my life where I think you should be honest and not cheat. Um, they think you should cheat, but I'm giving them I'm giving them a voice, you know, it's, I'm not just telling them don't do this. So I think that makes, that makes a big difference. Um, I don't know the the relationship, the relationship piece is, is the, it's, it's so, so major if, and I, for me too, I also do this. Like, I know they don't want to listen to me talk. Like this is me talking right now is, is more than I've talked, you know, all, all school year, it feels like, but they want to, I'm going to give them instructions for about three or four minutes. Then we're going to work on open-ended projects. Then I'm going to go around and kind of ask them questions and, and, you know, goof around with them and stuff, you know, just kind of, kind of joke with them. And if I have a student that is like really quiet and won't say anything, I'll include them in a conversation with another student. So I'll, I'll mention them as like, you know, Bob, Bob and I, you know, Bob and I think this, think this, what do you, what do you think about that? Cause Bob and I really agree with this. So that student, even though they're not saying anything, I'm pulling them into the conversation and they're, they're paying attention and it, you know, they're saying this teacher actually acknowledges my existence. So if, if that's, if that's all it takes, then that's what I'm going to do. Hmm. Love it, man. Love it. Okay. Last question for the conversational starter questions. Then we're going to, uh, uh, Dive into your your backstory, Jay. Uh, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? Um, I this is something. These are two things I said when I was wrestling, and I I still I still use them to this day. So, for example, when when I I like to be a very very nice person. Um, that's what I was taught growing up. Um, and wrestling was difficult for me starting out because you're always taught to be very nice and selfless and, you know, don't be mean to people. And then wrestling, you want to beat them up. 
So I had to, I had to psych myself up for every match, you know, to get myself to be a different, different person. And the two things I would say to myself were 110%, never stop with the pressure, you know, and then, and I keep repeating those things over and over again. And to be honest, that's, that's kind of the mantra I want to live my life. If I'm a teacher, if I'm a dad, you know, whatever, whatever the situation is, I want to, I want to be in fully. Like it's, it's very difficult to be all in, in the present, but that's how you, that's how you have to be. Um, I just, I went on, I went on a vacation. My, my best friend from college invited, invited my wife and I, and then three other couples to the Dominican Republic. Um, he, he's done financially very well. Um, so he was able to pay for this just incredible vacation. Um, and he, and the other, the other two guys he invited, um, they're all very successful. And the thing, thing they do well is they're all in whatever we're doing. If we're singing karaoke, they're all in on that. You know, if they were, if they were talking in a conversation, they're all in on that conversation. So, um, I think, I think to be successful and that's what I want to be is be a hundred percent in like in this conversation, I want to be a hundred percent in this. I don't want to be thinking about anything else. Um, sec secondly, never stop with the pressure, always, always improve, you know, just always stay after stuff because life is boring. If you're, if you're sedentary, life is, life is boring. And there's times, there's times to be in your comfort zone and relax and, and recover and things like that. But I want to do stuff. You know, I want to, I want to keep getting myself better. So my mantra, hundred percent, never stop with the pressure. Cool. Love it, Jay. Okay. Um, you mentioned uh, growing up in Washington, you mentioned that your dad was a green beret and he uh, wanted to raise uh, you and your siblings, you know, kind of gritty. Um, but let's let's dive in a little bit deeper. So uh, talk a little bit about uh, life growing up in the community that you grew up in Washington. I'm assuming you, you, you probably played a lot of sports. Uh, you already mentioned kind of the influence of your dad. How did your mom influence you if, 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 if she did in terms of, uh, you know, did she always say something that you still remember to this day, things like that? Or, or what did she kind of give you that your dad didn't? Because there's always that uh, give and take. There's that balance between mom and dad. And then uh, just tell us a little bit about what was Jay like when he was a young person, when you were a, when you were a kid growing up, um, talk, talk, talk about high school and then stop kind of that the high school years um, because then we'll kind of transition into Stanford talk and, and, and uh, post high school. Okay. Okay. Um, so to talk about, talk about my dad, um, he just, he had a way of like, you know, calmly pushing you, you know, always pushing. So I played a lot of sports growing up. I actually, I didn't wrestle till seventh grade. Um, cause he, he kept me, he kept me out of wrestling. I was always around it, but he didn't want me to get tired of wrestling. And there's a lot of kids that'll start when they're like three and four years old that burn out. Um, he purposely, he purposely held me back. Um, and I'm, I'm still not tired of it. So I think that's a good move. Um, but I played, played all the sports growing up. Um, and, you know, if I, if I was playing soccer or baseball, you know, it's like, can you, can you work on this a little bit more? You know, can you run a little bit faster, you know, when you're, you know, more, more effort in the soccer game. So, um, I just, he, he was always, always trying to push and make me a little bit better. Um, which I caught hold of even as a youngster, like these challenges are fun. You know, it's, it's fun to see myself improve and it's fun to test myself because again, to, to be honest, um, when I'm testing myself, I'm not thinking about other things. I'm just focused in on the challenge. Um, so to explain 
me as a little kid, and I don't know if I was like this or my dad created this monster, but my grandpa, you know, my my grandpa made stilts for my brother and sister and I, and we had a we had a sport, you know, tennis court in the back um, where we'd practice walking on the stilts. So my brother, who's two years, two and a half years older than me, he went back and forth 10 times and everyone made a big deal out of it. You know? So I was like, well, forget that noise. I'm going to, I'm going to go 101 times. And so I start, I start walking on the stilts and I'm out there by myself and I get to like 72 and I've really got to pee because I'd had a lot of Kool-Aid for lunch. Um, and, um, I'm like, how, how am I going to do this? So I call my dad, he comes outside um, and I was like, here's the situation. I got to I got to pee. Do you think I could get, I've got like, got like 20, 28 more to go. You know, could I just get off pee, get back on and finish up where I left off? And my dad's like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that'd be fair. So I peed my pants and I, I finished up 101. Um, but that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the kid again, that either I was, or I became, but um, I'm proud of it. And I think my dad was a little proud of it too. My mom, uh, probably not so proud of the, of the soiled, soiled, uh, brown corduroys, but, um, just to talk about my mom, um, she did, she did balance it out. And, you know, my mom where my dad was mostly focused on, you know, pushing us in athletic arenas and academics. Um, my mom was just how to be a good person. You know, her big thing was, you know, the, the Terry Jackson rule of three, which is if you meet someone for the first time, you ask them three questions about themselves. Um, so that's, that's huge. You get to get to know somebody and it's really helped me as a teacher. And we talked about relationships. Um, you start getting good at asking questions. Um, she also, she was the kind of person that would show up at a party and she'd look around for people that looked uncomfortable. And, you know, she'd, she'd find someone that looked uncomfortable and it was her, it was her purpose to like, introduce them to people and make them feel comfortable. She was like, she would go to, go to some gathering and she'd, she'd be looking around for that stuff because she was like the human swizzle stick trying to, trying to mix everything up and make everyone feel good. So just, you know, and, and I've got to say the best parenting is modeling. Um, so my mom, just the most selfless person, um, that I can imagine watching and just watching her, um, helped me, helped me become, I think a better person. My dad, you know, my dad also a good person, but, um, you know, watched him, watched him and, you know, his, his pursuits. And, um, it was really, it was really effective for me. I look at a lot of parents and their kids, their kids kind of become their life mm -hmm. and they show up to all the soccer games and stuff, which is fantastic. Um, but, I think a huge way to help your kids is by having your own life and your own pursuits and own goals um, that they can, they can watch and say, Oh man, I can, I can do that too. Mm -hmm. So um, that was great. And I will say this too. I have a sister that's 11 months older than me and my brother's, my brother's, you know, 20 months older than she is. Um, but they, so we were, you know, ninth, 10th, 11th grade, you know, always, always in a row. And they were just incredible students. Like my brother um, is the, epitome of, of, uh, process goals. Like he just, he just wants to learn and get better. And when he, he'd come home from, he'd come home from school. He was in Mr. DePron's history class. He would talk about at, at the dinner table, he'd talk about everything he learned in that class and how, how amazing it was. It was never about grades. Um, so I gotta, I gotta thank my brother and my sister who is similar. And again, amazing students for just like showing me 
how to, how to approach school. And I've also got to thank him because when I would show up to a class, they'd have my brother, my sister, and then they'd get me and they'd be like, oh man, your brother and sister are so awesome. You must be awesome too. And there, there, there's gotta be a self-fulfilling prophecy involved in that. They treated me like I was amazing. So school was pretty easy, pretty easy for me. Everyone, you know, was thinking all these great things. I can't imagine if my brother and sister were kind of jerks, um, you know, what my life would be like. So um, again, pretty, pretty awesome. Smooth sailing, smooth sailing for me through, um, through high school, because it was never, you know, what college am I going to get into? It was never GPA. It was always like, how do I improve myself? How do I get better? And I started learning that that's, that's fun. That's the way, that's the way to approach, approach school just mm -hmm. by, you know, you know, give yourself, give yourself challenging, challenging things and then pursuing those challenges. Okay. Before we move off of the, the childhood, the younger years, Jay, um, now obviously your parents were very impactful in your life growing up, but stepping outside of your immediate family, like your mom and your dad, uh, was there a coach? Was there a teacher that you look back now as, you know, uh, being the same, right? Uh, a, 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 a dad, you're, you're a coach, you're a, a teacher. And looking back, you're like, man, that Mr. So-and-so or Miss so-and-so, they were just so cool. They just had such a huge impact on my life outside of mom and dad. Is, is there somebody or a few people like that? Or was it primarily your parents that really uh, had that uh, profound impact on your childhood? Well, there's always people like that. And it takes a, it takes a community to, you know, raise, raise a child well. Um, but Honestly, I mean, the biggest influence was my was my parents on on everything. My dad, my dad was my PE teacher. He was my coach for football during football season. He was my wrestling coach, um, and he was also my dad, all wrapped into one. And I don't think we ever had an argument. He and I, it was always it was always just a really good relationship all the way all the way through. Um, my mom and I same way. I mean, I didn't I didn't see my mom as much as my dad which is odd because I'd see my dad in class and then after school for practice. And then at home, you know, we kind of had the same schedules. Um, but my mom, you know, just, yeah, she's just very, very amazing, amazing, supportive, supportive mother. So I was, I was blessed to have this just amazing family. And we did, we've done these things as a, as a, as teachers, we've done this thing that talks about, you know, what kind of, what kind of upbringing you had and it lists all these things that, did you have this? Did you have this? Did you have this? And I basically had everything. Um, and I was looking around these other teachers, you know, these other teachers were, you know, I was scoring like a 99 out of hundred on this thing. Um, not because of me, but because of the upbringing I had. Um, but these other teachers are scoring like 20, 23s and stuff. It just made me, I, I had no concept that other people didn't grow up. Like I grew up. Um, I just, I mean, it was, it was amazing. But again, I did have, I did have great teachers. I did have great coaches. I had some, I had some really bad teachers though, and bad coaches that also made a real big impact on me. Like I, I got to make sure, you know, what are they, what are they doing? So I, I don't do that. So, um, everyone, everyone you come across good or bad is going to, is going to make you better if you're looking at it optimistically. Great point. Love it. Okay. So um, you start wrestling a, a little bit later because your dad didn't want you to get burned out. You you go to Stanford, uh, you wrestle there. Now, before we get to that, uh, at some point you had to start thinking about post high school. Uh, so what were you thinking about 
even if it was just a little bit or maybe way back in the back of your mind, Jay, like what were you thinking about? You you did want to do post high school, uh, what you wanted to be, quote unquote, when you grew up. Were there any type of thoughts like that? And then, of course, you went to Stanford. Why Stanford? You wrestled at Stanford, just unpacked the college experience. But first, what was there any inkling of anything that you wanted to be or do post high school outside of what you actually did going to Stanford and wrestling? So in high school, I, I will say the focus was always on improvement, but I knew that you had to, had to go somewhere. And, and to be honest, my, um, my goals were, I wanted to wrestle in college, um, at a, at a good school that those are my goals. And I realized, you know, that, so the school, school for me had to have, had to have wrestling in it, but I also realized that, gosh, every school's good. There's no, you can't, I know, I know us news and world report ranks them. Um, but there's no bad school. Like, tell me what a bad school is. There's good, there's good teachers, uh, professors, there's good students everywhere. Um, so I would have been happy wherever I think, wherever I went, um, as long as there was, as long as there's wrestling associated with that. Um, the reason I chose Stanford, um, my brother was already there, um, which was, which was nice. I had a, I had a friend. Uh, Lance Johnson, who is there too. Lance's Lance's dad, Ron, and my dad were high school teammates together, and then they wrestled together at the University of Washington, and they were co-captains um, together and and roommates. Um, so I've known Lance my entire life, and Lance Lance lives in or lived in Oregon. He um he was already at Stanford, so I knew um, when it came to wrestling, I had a good workout partner because Lance is Lance is about the weight above me. And what's strange is just like our dads before us, we both became, um, you know, teammates, co-captains, roommates, you know, at, at the same, at the same, you know, just like, just like our parents. Um, so that's, that's why I chose Stanford. But to be honest, you know, I, I had applied, it wasn't like kids today that applied to 50 schools. Uh, I applied to, I applied to three other schools um, and any one of them would have been a good, would have been a good situation. So um, yeah. I'm just, but I am, I am happy. I have nothing to compare it to because I only went to one school, but I was very, very pleased with my decision. So um, what did you study at Stanford? Because uh, I know you mentioned something about marketing, I think after college. So I'm assuming maybe some, something business related, but specifically, what did you study? Uh, and what was your focus in terms of academics or what you were going to get into after college, again, I, I think you kind of mentioned kind of like the marketing thing. So I just I want you to kind of unpack the mindset before we get into the 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 shift with that incident with the stalker and and kind of you going in a different direction. So your mindset in college, studying what, and then talk about because I uh, did a little research on you. You actually were an All American wrestler at Stanford, and you mentioned you were a you were a captain. So those aren't those aren't light things. Like you didn't just go like walk on at Stanford on the wrestling team and, and, you know, just whatever you were continuously improving, like you like to say, which I love, uh, but you were a captain, you were an all American. There was obviously some accolades with the wrestling. So just uh, as I know, you will humbly just talk about, you know, the wrestling experiences at Stanford, because I'm sure there were some life lessons that you learned specifically at Stanford through the wrestling. So first off, I've got to say I was not, I was not an All-American, NC2A All-American. I I was, I was 
what they call top 12. I made mm -hmm. to the blood rounds. If I would have won one more match, I was an all American. Okay. Um, I was an all American in uh 21 and under like freestyle wrestling. And then in the U S open. Um, mm -hmm. so technically, technically I was an all American, but not an NC2A all American, um, which was, yeah, always, always something I wanted, never, never quite made it. And, and to be honest, it used to, it really made me upset mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, until I realized, gosh, wrestling wasn't about, it wasn't about, you know, winning or being an all American or, you know, doing all this stuff. It was about the relationships I, I had and how it made me the person, the person that I am today. So I just, just learning to deal with, learning to deal with difficult stuff. So I'm, I'm at peace with it now. I, I will say, I will say after my senior year, I, yeah, you know, I stuck around coached and, and, um, you know, to, because I was still frustrated about not placing in the NC2A. And then I placed in the U S open, which is a higher, higher level tournament. Um, but it still didn't, still didn't make me happier. So I, I fully lived like it's, you gotta, you gotta understand, you gotta understand the process and not the, not the outcomes. Um, but, and we all make mistakes with that. Um, but when it comes to, when it comes to major, I majored in psychology. I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was just, it was just very interesting to me. Um, and in talking to someone in my dorm, um, he had, he had just graduated and he got a job in the creative side and advertising where basically it sounded amazing. He played ping pong all day and foosball until he came up with an idea, you know, and then they'd make a commercial out of it. And that sounds like the ideal job. So it just sounded like something easy and fun. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. And I thought a psych psychology major can lend itself to that very, very well. And I did, you know, you have to work up those creative positions are not super easy to get. So I started as an intern and, and, um, you know, was working, working my way up to try and get to get to that position. Um, but what's interesting is what I do now and the book I wrote, um, it's, there's so many psychological principles that I learned in college that, that apply, apply to this. Um, so I'm just, I don't know. I, I think, I think things happen for a reason. Um, and I think there's a reason, there's a reason I was studying psychology and it's just super, super interesting to me. So I'm very, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I'm very glad that that's what I studied because it led, it led to, you know, it kind of meshed itself with, with what became my purpose. Hmm. So how long did you kind of do the marketing business type stuff uh, before you transitioned to education, Jay? So two years. Okay. Um, and yeah. And again, again, I had my, I had my incident and that kind of, that kind of stopped everything in its tracks. And when I was, when I was evaluating what I wanted to do with my life, um, I was thinking about the last thing I had to do for my job was I had to find armadillo facts because I was doing a, doing a menu for a restaurant called, called armadillo Willie's. Um, and I had to find armadillo facts, um, to put on this menu and internet was not a big thing. So I was at the library trying to find out all this stuff. And, um, I was just looking at, gosh, you know, is my, how meaningful is my life? If I'm looking up armadillo facts to put on a menu, is that going to make people better? And granted they can learn about armadillos. I get that. Um, but it's not, it's not terribly, terribly meaningful. So, um, it, it's, uh, and I don't mean to demean marketing or the advertising profession, certainly some, certainly some good things, but in my, in my journey, that just didn't seem like the way I wanted to go.
Okay. So something I want to touch on here because, uh, you know, purpose is something it sounds like you're, you're obviously, uh, motivated by you're driven by, you talk about purpose in your book. Uh, and I, I feel like all of us uh, are born with a, a, a specific purpose in our lives. Right. And it's, it's really, it's, it's everything in terms of, uh, you know, satisfaction, fulfillment in life. But, um, now, uh, so I, I played uh, college football for a year, right? So I grew up and all I, all I cared about and all I knew by my choice, it wasn't forced upon my parents, just like you, Jay, I had, I have an amazing dad. I have an amazing mom, amazing upbringing, like nothing but positive thing to say. Uh, but the athletic side of things, like my, my parents never played sports. Like my dad, I think played like ping pong and tennis, right? Uh, which, you know, they're sports, but I played like football and basketball and ran track and all that. Uh, so my point is, is that I grew up and all I cared about was sports. That's all I thought about 24, seven, 365. Then I started lifting weights at a very young age and it was lifting weights. It was playing sports. Uh, I went and played college football for a year, quit football, transferred schools. And some of the hardest, darkest times of my life, Jay, were when I was done playing sports because that was my identity. I, I mean, I was a kid, right? I was a teenager. I didn't, nobody was talking to me, sitting me down and counseling about identity and, and all that stuff. You just, you, you, you become what you become. Uh, now that was my identity. And once I was done playing college football, I didn't have my identity. I lost my identity because that I, my whole life was wrapped up in that. I could still lift weights, but that wasn't the same. You weren't around the guys. You weren't in the locker room. You didn't have that camaraderie. You didn't have the team goals. You didn't have just, there's something unique about sports and, and that competition and those type of goals and striving together with others and the guys in the locker room. Um, so I had some very dark times post-college athletics, post being done playing sports. So the point and, and the question I want to kind of pose to you, Jay, is, you know, were there some not necessarily maybe dark times, but some personal struggle times in terms of searching for identity, searching for purpose once you were done uh, wrestling is, is that kind of, does that kind of make sense? It does. It does. And when you're talking purposes or passions, um, there are a couple different types. There's what you're referring to, which is you're going to make that purpose or passion, your identity. And then there's, there's purposes or passions where, um, it's just something you really, really enjoy doing, but it doesn't, it doesn't define you. Um, I think, I think there've been times I've been, I've been both. Um, where it, it is my, you know, wrestling, for example, was, was my identity. Um, and then that's when you start really focusing on, on the wins and losses too much. And if you lose, it's like, like devastating as opposed to realizing, gosh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this because I want to, and it's fun. Um, that's not to say, and I've, I've got to say this too, like passions. Um, everyone thinks, everyone thinks if I, if I follow my passion, then I never work a day in my life. And that that's so untrue. Um, passions, you will experience your highest highs, but you also experience your lowest lows. It's those, it's that emotional roller coaster, but it's those emotions that keep driving that passion. Because if you flatline with emotions, then that's, that's a boring life. Um, if you have the roller coaster emotions, that's, that's something that, you know, keeps you, keeps you super motivated. So passions, like the passion, of the Christ was not fun for Jesus. It's, it's, it's difficult. Um, so you have to understand, you have to understand, you know, passions, passions that way. Um, 
So you will, you will have those dark times, but I think, I think I've been able to figure out that, gosh, um, this, this passion doesn't, it doesn't define me. It's not, it's not my complete identity. Um, and it's something that I, I choose to do. Like, for example, my passion now is to help, help younger people. Um, and it's, it's shown itself many ways every day in the classroom. I'm trying to do these lessons to do this, you know, it, it manifested itself in a book, which is fantastic, but that's not, you know, this is, this is stuff that I, that I want to do, but it doesn't, doesn't define me. So let's say this book, you know, fails completely or, you know, um, you know, for some reason I can't, I can't teach anymore. I'm still going to be fine. And I can find a way to, I can find a way to pursue this passion in, other arenas too. So for example, you know, if you're, if you're passionate about basketball, for example, and you love playing basketball and your goal is to become an NBA player, such a small percentage reaches that, reaches that level, but you can pursue that passion of, of basketball, you know, by, by coaching or, you know, being a statistician for a college team, or, you know, there's all sorts of, all sorts of different ways to, to pursue that passion. Um, I just, you know, one of one of my former wrestlers, Patricia Miranda, um, just got inaugurated into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. And her passion, you know, she was someone that her mom passed away when she was 10 years old. And she realized at 10 years old, like life is short and I just want to I want to live life to the fullest. So I want to take on challenges as much as I can. I gonna make things really, really difficult for myself. And then I know I'm I'm living life. And you know, she did that with wrestling. She wrestled on the men's team in at Stanford, which is insane. You know, it, every day, every day she's in there. She's, she's, she's the lightest person in there. Um, and she went after it because it, it filled her passion. She was challenging herself, you know, for five years, she did that. Now she's an immigration lawyer. And I was talking to one of her, you know, contemporaries there. Um, that's another immigration lawyer. That's like, she is incredible. She is, she's trying all these different things. She's pushing the envelope with this, with being an immigration lawyer. Um, so in her, in her mind, her passion is challenging herself and that can manifest itself in, in many different, many different areas. So, um, I just, I'm my advice, my advice to someone that makes their identity, just don't pigeonhole your passion too much in that, you know, make it, make it broad you know, it could be my passion is to improve or my passion is to help kids, kids do this. And like I said, it can, it can be through, in my case, it could be through teaching, it'd be through a book, it'd be through teaching teachers how to, how to do this stuff. There's all sorts of different ways to, uh, to, you know, make this passion a reality. Yeah. Excellent. That was um, kind of a long, that was kind of a long and, uh, yeah, you know, that's rambling okay. that's answer. Okay. We're, we're no tough. rush, no hurry. Okay. Um, now I've got to ask you, uh, and some of the listeners may be curious about this too, going back to this stalker, uh, and this is going to be the last time I'm going to touch on this, but, uh, I mean, the only time I really hear of stalkers is like, you know, with Hollywood stars and stuff like that. So did you ever find out what this individual's motive was for stalking you? Like what, what was, what was the deal with, with, with that? If, if you don't mind me asking Jay. Yeah. Um, it was. He, he had, uh, we used to have open showers in the, in the, in the athletic facilities, um, where he was someone that used to come in and shower at the same time as the wrestling team. Um, and I, I, to this day, I question why, why me? Because there's a lot taller, better looking guys, you know, in this situation, but it was, it was one of those, one of those deals. So that's why, 
um when they went to when they went to uh there's some things i'm not going to share because it's it's a weird you know story um but when they went to his apartment he lived it wasn't his apartment is he he just lived there but it was just like a futon and a picture of me on the wall you know that he got from got from the stanford newspaper which is just i mean if you start you start thinking about that stuff it's like it's just like a, a bad made for tv movie um but those things can happen sometimes mm-hmm. and to be honest you know when it comes to that when it comes to that event um it was horrible it was it was bad and emotionally you know i dealt with it for for quite a while, you know, it was, it was several weeks later where I said to myself, oh my gosh, I didn't think about it yesterday, um, which is going to happen with, with big events like that. But to be honest, um, you know, there's, I'm, you can be grateful for anything. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for it. It, it sent me on a new direction for my life. It, um, you know, it's, it's something, it's the reason we're talking, we're talking right now. If, if that didn't, if that didn't happen, um, we're not, we're not having this conversation. I don't get to help help kids become better. Um, so as bad as it was, I've got to say, I'm, I am grateful that it happened. Love that perspective. Okay. Now, uh, you, you mentioned Joe DeSena in his books. Now, I think the first time I came across you, Jay, and, and, uh, you know, uh, sent you a, a friend request on Facebook several years ago, but if my memory serves me correctly, it had something to do with Joe DeSena. Did you work for Spartan or do some sort of educational stuff like Spartan kids or something? If so, will you talk about how you got connected with Joe and, and talk about that, please? Sure. Uh, so that's, that's a long story. I'll, I'll keep it brief, but it's kind of funny. Um, but, but my, my friend from high school, um, well, gosh, this is weird. I, before I get to that, I was, I'd just been voluntold to be the assistant principal at our school. Um, I didn't want to be, I just, I had the credential and the principal came and said, you're going to do this. Um, and then she was like, you're going to, you're going to do a presentation on, on professional development days, first day of school. So I was thinking about, gosh, what do I present? You know, cause if you're, if you're getting in front of a group of teachers, you better bring your A game because they all know how to teach. So if you don't do a good job of it, if it's just a lecture, then you're going to get tomatoes thrown at you. So I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. And I happened to turn on the TV and it had, it was, it was a 60 minute sports episode on, it was called races from hell. And it talked about ops course racing and how big it had, it was becoming. And they highlighted Joe on the thing. And I'm like, and he's like, he's like, you know, this is people are bored of flat, flat, long marathons. They want to see some, you know, challenges in there, you know, it makes it more exciting, gives you stuff to talk about. And he said, you got to make it difficult because you know, then people are going to test themselves and they'll hug you at the finish line. So I was like, that is fantastic. That's a great model for what a school should be because with worksheet and, you know, paper tests, it's just like a flat marathon. So I, I was, my thing was, I was going to show this, show this video, talk about how it relates to school. And we need to give difficult challenges like projects, open-ended projects. So school is more interesting. You know, a a kid's going to talk about they're going to talk about a project that they did. They're not going to talk about the worksheet that they did. You know, it's, it's a huge, huge difference. Um, so I kind of set up how school should be like an ops course race. And then no joke, I'm, I'm working on, I'm working on that PowerPoint and no joke that day, a friend I hadn't talked to for about, you know, 15, 20 years, um, from high school, he sends me an email said, Hey, uh, I met this guy named Joe DeSena. Um, he's CEO and founder of Spartan race. And, um, 
I told him your stalking story and he wants to meet you. And I'm like, that's crazy. Cause I just found out about this guy yesterday and I'm doing a PowerPoint on him right now. Meantime, Joe flies out to, you know, like two weeks later is the Monterey race. So he flies out to Monterey, um, meet him. He wants to hear the story. So I tell him the story. And then I said, you know, you could make a ton of money, you know, doing, talking about how your stuff relates to education. He's like, I'd love to hear about that. He goes, but I got to check some emails. He goes, do you want to, do you want to, you know, just hang out? Do you want to check out some obstacles? He goes, do you want to run the race? And I said, well, I'll run the race, you know, and I'm wearing khakis and I'm not wearing running shoes and like a long sleeve black shirt. And he gets me, he introduced me to the hype man at the front. And he's like, he's like, Hey, um, introduced me to that guy. And at Spartan race, there's like 50 people in the pen that are ready to go. And these people are all like, you know, they've got face paint on their shirts off and I'm wearing khakis. And the guy at the front is like, this is Jay Jackson. He's a personal friend of Joe Descent. He's the guy to beat this heat. And they're like, yeah. And I'm thinking about what did I just get into? So I'm in the middle of these people and take off. And the thing I saw in 60 minute sports was, was a, it was a three mile race. So I was like, I can pull that off three miles. Um, and then this race I'd been going for a while and I'm going pretty good. And I'm not, not in horrible shape, but not in great shape either. And we're about three miles in and I finally you know, see the sign. And it says, it says, you know, 10 miles to your ice cold Sierra Nevada. And I was like, what? And I turned to the guy next to me. I'm like, what, how long is this race? He's like, it's a beast, man. I'm like, what's a beast. I have no idea. It's, you know, Spartan has different levels and the beast is like the 13 mile as, as you know. Um, and it was brutal, but I will say this, um, you know, it did push my point. Like I remember all that stuff and I came back and I talked about it and people were, you know, if you're going through something difficult with someone else, everyone's really cool to you. Um, and your, your mind is not on other things. It was my wife's birthday that day. I wasn't thinking about that during the race, but as soon as I got done, um, and saw my phone that was lit up like a Christmas tree, um, realized that, but that's my, that's my first intro to Joe. Um, and then, and he did that on purpose. I know he did. Um, he, he knew I wasn't going to be ready for that. Um, but I finished and then he met up with me. He's like, why don't you, why don't you work with Spartan, you know, do an educational branch to our branch. So I worked at, um, it was called Spartan edge. So did that for several years. And I'm very thankful for that too, because it, it led me to, led me to hone, you know, what I wanted to do. It led to, led to all the diagrams and how to best, how to best teach this stuff. Um, and then it introduced me to some amazing people. I got to go around and give presentations to lots of SGX, you know, Spartan Group X trainers and not trainers, they're coaches. Sorry. That's, that's a no, no to say they're trainers, um, but coaches, you know, and, and just some amazing people. And, you know, Joe introduced me to, well, I got to pick his brain too, but he introduced me to all these ultra athletes where these people are doing these things on this incredibly, incredibly high level. So with my, with my tools, I got to, you know, let's look at this diagram. Like I got to ask some questions, like, what are you thinking in this situation? And how do you, how do you deal with this? Or what if this happens? Um, so it was, it was essential. Um, so yeah, I, I worked with Spartan for several years. Um, during the pandemic, they kind of, they kind of had to streamline everything, which is understandable, but I still work with them. Joe is a very good friend and um, anything he needs. Cause he's doing, he's doing what I want to do too, which is, you know, help people challenge themselves and, and learn more about themselves and improve themselves. So um, I'm in on helping him and don't tell my wife this, but I don't even care if I get paid or not. It is, it is like just 
it's the best to to feed feed that purpose. So um, there's that. So I, I worked worked with Spartan officially and continued to continue to work with them. Um, right now, they're working on an SGX youth certification for coaches. Um, and I want to be, I want to be very involved in that because I think if you just tell a kid to do 50 burpees, that's worthless. But if you explain, if they can come up the reason why they're doing the 50 burpees and how to get through it, you know, best possible way, then I think you've got something that's going to make these kids better for life. Love that. Okay. Um, I want to touch on a couple more topics with you, Jay, and then I'll get you out of here. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you about is, uh, kind of like goal setting. Yeah. So I want to start with you personally, how do you kind of go about, uh, because it's very important to be present in the moment, right? It's also, I think, very important to have some sort of vision or direction for your future. Uh, so how do you personally kind of go about your future self or the future that you want to create or you want to pursue, um, AKA goal setting, if you call it goal setting, um, is that the same way that you kind of encourage others to do goal setting or to pursue pursue their future? If it's different, how do you kind of share with other people? Uh, let's start right there. Um, so my goal setting is a little ambiguous. Um, I don't I don't come up with specific things because if I do, then I tend to become more outcome goal focused. Um, so for me, like my goal right now is to try to try to get this this book in the hands of more educators because the over overarching goal is I want to I want to you know it's I want to help make young people better versions themselves ha help them learn to take on challenges because I think it'll make them more successful and happier which is the more important piece to me so I've got that overarching goal that's the direction I'm swimming okay um Hunter S Thompson says there's swimmers and floaters in life and if you have a if you have a goal then you're swimming towards that goal if you're a floater, you don't have a goal. And that's, I don't know, that, that doesn't seem like the way to live life. I want to, I want to be on the move. Um, but then I've got to get myself, if I'm swimming towards that goal, I've got to get myself to different islands. So, um, and the nearest Island, like I want to make sure I get myself signed up for five schools or districts that I'm going to present to in August. So I'm, I'm working, working on that. And then I'll start looking at somewhere else. So I know the direction and then anything that's going to help me island hop to that to that direction is something is something i'm going to do and it's got to be um again there's outcome goals and there's process goals you know we have you have the direction you're swimming someone with an outcome goal all that matters is that they get there you know i i want to be a the state tennis champion and that's all that matters and you unfortunately with an outcome goal you can't be happy until you actually obtain it um, so you're not happy along the way. And if you never get it, you're always going to be bitter. But then if you do get it, if you do reach that goal, then, um, you're happy for a short period of time, but then you set another goal for yourself. So it's just not, it's not a recipe for happiness. Whereas process, like if I'm improving and I'm swimming and I'm getting closer to that thing, um, then I'm happy. I can see, I can see the improvement and the effort that it, that it takes to make it happen. So I've got to be very you know, intentional about making sure that I'm process oriented, but I think most of us are not designed that way to be process oriented. So I have to keep reminding myself, um, that's, that's what I'm going to do. So when it comes to, when it comes to goals, um, I've got this overarching goal, I'm swimming towards it. And then I want to make sure that I'm moving towards, I've got to have 
I've got to have outcomes in there to know where I'm going, like five, five presentations. Uh, I want to try and, you know, sell, sell this many books or something like that. But any progress I made to make towards that is something to celebrate. Okay. Um, going back to uh, gritty kids, which that's something you mentioned earlier, uh, talking about up to the challenge. Um, so we, we obviously, you know, Jay live in a very, uh, overall, generally speaking, soft culture. Uh, I personally believe, uh, our culture continues to get softer and softer. We're living in the world of snowflakes and everybody gets a trophy and a ribbon and, and all this stuff. Uh, and uh, so the question is, why why do we need kids or young people that are gritty? What, why do we need up to the challenge book as educators? Why, why do we need to try to uh, encourage, uh, challenge, push kids out of the comfort zone? Like wh why all of this stuff? Because of course, I personally am in alignment with you and I, I love everything that you're sharing and agree. And Joe Sen, I've read his books, love it all. But there's also a lot of parents that are um, helicopter parents. I mean, they they just suck the life out of their kids because they protect them. And and, and it's just like, it's, it's wild and crazy to observe. But why do we need gritty kids? Why do we need to do hard things as kids and as adults, as human beings? Um, the short answer is that gritty kids become gritty adults. Mm. And... If we have if we have a society of people that you know runs away from the fire or you know stays away from challenge, then that's it's just not a good world. Um, and again, you can get a lot more done if you're if you're passionate about something and you're moving towards it. And you know how to keep going forward. Um, you can get a lot more done than someone that's like floating and you know doesn't and quits quits right away when things, when things get tough. And I'm also going to say, I want happiness is the key to me. Um, especially when I was, when I was an assistant principal at, at my high school, um, the, we did a, we did a survey with, with, um, St. Louis university medical school. And, you know, they, they, we surveyed, you know, 75% of our kids and the numbers were astonishing. It's like um, over 50% had moderate to severe levels of um, anxiety. Over 80% had moderate to severe levels of depression. And you can't look at that and say, and say like, that's fine. We'll just, we'll just gloss over that. There's got to be a way. And for me, it's up to the challenge book. And, you know, my goal here and my purpose is to, is to help help kids realize that, gosh, you know, challenge, challenge is something that's going to make me happy. If I'm, if I get all these challenges in my life, and again, school is a series of challenges and I don't know how to deal with it. And I try to fight it, which is totally natural for an adolescent. You know, you're going to, you're going to fight whatever thing is difficult. Um, then you're just not happy. You're a victim to stuff and you can't be happy as a victim because things, life is just happening to you. Um, whereas if I get these challenges and I'm like, okay, I'm taking this thing head on, this is why I'm doing it. And this is how I'm going to get through it when things get difficult and I make mistakes and it's, it's, it makes me tired and I'm scared. If I can, if I can take that and be in control of it, then I'm going to be a successful, but hugely more importantly, much happier person. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, I think, 
I think my school is like a microcosm of what's going on across the country in a lot of schools. Um, a lot of kids are anxious and they're depressed and we're, we're hearing that more and more. And I think the root cause is that these kids are just like, they're victims. They're victims, all this stuff happening. This stuff is happening to me. I hate it. You know, this is not, not good. I'm, I'm so unhappy. Um, I just want kids to like live the experience. My dad, my dad gave me the experience I got in high school where it was like, you know, I wasn't, it was just like taking on these challenges and it was just, it was fun and it was exciting every day in school. And I looked forward to going to school and being there. Um, I just, I just want kids, I want kids to understand that, that, that you can be in control of this thing and being in control makes you successful and happy. Um, and, you know, being, being a victim does not. And I'll just give you one quick example in, in the chapter on courage, there's a tool that basically says this, you know, everyone has fear, you know, everyone, you can't get away with fear. Fear's natural. We all have it. Um, when we, when we experience a high stress situation, it's, it's meant to help us, you know, but if I'm a victim to it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to get this presentation. Oh, it's going to be horrible. And I'm going to do bad and stuff like that. Then that fear, you turn it into anxiety and then your life is not so good. But if you, if you, if that fear comes up because you've got to give a presentation or you get to give a presentation and you're like, oh, this fear is meant to help me. This is going to be fun and exciting. Um, then that fear then turns into excitement. That's the difference between being a victim to it, the anxiety, and then being in charge of it where you make yourself excited. So um, yeah, that's again, a long-winded answer, but I'm, I'm very, very passionate and very intentional about, about that, that if we can get kids to be in, in control of their life and these challenges, um, then they're going to be a lot happier. Hmm. Okay. One other thing I want to touch on here, uh, branching off what you just said, Jay, um, how important is getting, uh, specifically we're talking about youth, uh, this pertains to all human beings, but we're this mostly conversation is focused on youth because that's what you're passionate about. It's what I'm passionate about. Um, it's kind of what your book is, is focused, uh, towards specifically how important is getting our youth up and moving, whether that's running, lifting weights, playing sports, uh, walking, riding a bike, jumping on a trampoline. Like I personally believe that, uh, I, I agree with everything you just said, but I also believe that movement is medicine. And, you know, when I spent time as an educator in the past, the quote unquote bad kids will be put in a, in a room and basically be solitary confinement. And I'm like, that is like, the most asinine thing that you could do for a kid that is maybe struggling to pay attention, not doing what the teacher asked him to do. It's like, I believe we need to infuse movement within our public education systems. And we need to challenge the youth to move their bodies because that's going to release the feel good endorphins and, and the everything else that happens when we move our bodies as humans. But what, what do you think about movement and, 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 um, physicality, the physical culture that is lacking, but definitely needed with our youth, like touch on that, please. Well, you and I are speaking the same language because <laughs> if you look, if you look at like, if you were to follow a kid around, uh, during the entire school day and just see how much they're sitting and how much they're moving, the sitting is so much, um, it's, it, well, be honest, if, if I'm talking about anxiety again and, and depression, 
Um, obviously, there's people that have chemical imbalances and and have their own have their own issues. So I'm not going to say there's a cure all for all of it. But if you're looking to cure depression, anxiety, the two things are exercise and relationships. Those are those are two best things. The worst thing you could do. You're talking about solitary confinement. That's the worst thing you could do to to make a kid, you know, feel better. Yeah. So I don't know. And you've probably read Spark. Um, excellent, excellent book. But I'm a huge proponent of these kids. They've got to move around. It gets the blood flowing. Um, it wakes wakes them up. Um, all these all these things. And if you the other, the other thing is that, you know, anytime you're doing something, you mentioned like trampoline or, you know, just, just running some, some simple as running or in PE classes, you know, some sort of, some sort of game or some sort of, you know, physical challenge. It takes your mind off of everything else. If it, if the challenge is, is hard enough, like if it's just, if it's just at your, at your level of comfort or just outside your comfort zone, then you have to focus all your attention on that challenge. And what a gift that is. You're, you're, you're taking your mind off of everything else. We had, we, our district shut it down, which is unfortunate, but we used to have an obstacle course training um, at our school on the weekends. And we would offer kids instead of detention. Um, this is when I was an administrator. We'd offer, they could sit in detention or they can go do the obstacle course training um, because and it, it was, it was ideal, you know, obstacle course training, because if you're climbing over a 10 foot wall, you're not thinking about what you did wrong, or, you know, you're not thinking about, you know, what you've got to do. It's just like, I got to get over this wall. Um, it was, it was the greatest, greatest thing going. I think, I think all schools should have, yeah, should have movement time or challenge time, or and it's tough because, because like in our district, in, in California, you, two years of PE that's required. And then your junior and senior year, you don't have to, you don't have to do it. Um, but gosh, people should, people should be moving around again. You're, you're right. It, it helps you think better. It helps you focus. It, it makes you happier, uh, endorphins, you know, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm on board with you, everything you're saying. Cool. And, and that book you said spark, uh, uh, I have read that. That's that's a great a, a great read for anybody, parent, uh, grandparent, educator. Um, it just it's just the science of uh, movement and how it helps not just our physical body, but more importantly, kind of the topics we're touching on today, the the brain and and the academic, the learning. Like movement, just uh, is so powerful. Not not just for the physical being. But the internal being, the 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 mental being, our our, our ability to learn and to remember and, and all the things. So um okay, Jay, last question, then we'll 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 uh, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, I would like to know from your perspective, from all of your experiences, what makes a great educator? So we we touched on these things already. I think I think modeling is huge. Uh, we talked about that, talked about that with parents. Um, if, if I'm not excited, I can't expect the kids to be excited. You know, I've got to be, I've got to be excited about what I'm, what I'm teaching and what I'm doing. Um, relationships, we've talked about those things. That's probably the most crucial, um, kids need to know that you care about them. Um, and then if they, once they know that, um, that's when they, that's when they start paying attention. Um, I think model educators should have. Um, it should be student focused, meaning 
Like it's fun for me. I like the, my ego likes the attention. Like if I were to give lectures every day, I would love that, you know, but I look at what's the best thing for students. And it's, it's not, it's not me talking. It's, it's, it's them. It's them doing, doing stuff like hands, hands on stuff. So for me, um, I think a model educator is going to come up with these, these uh, open-ended projects where students can, where students can, you know, express themselves and put as much or as little effort as they want into it. Now, as a teacher, my job is to help them understand the stuff, but also my job is to coach them through it. If some kid, if some kid is just going hog wild on this project, fantastic. I'll let them go. Um, if a kid's trying to do as little as they can to get the best possible result, then I'm going to coach them through that. Like maybe, maybe you could do this, maybe you could do this differently. Um, so it's very, it's very student focused in that way that it's, they're going to be in charge. They're going to be in charge of their education. Um, I also think uh, ideal educator is going to give second and third chances. If we all say that mistakes are, if mistakes are part of the learning process, then we have to give the kids the opportunity to make mistakes and then make up for those things. So um, that might be you letting them redo assignments, retake tests, standards-based learning is what it's called, um, but all those things. So I don't know how in what order I did, but you got to model, you know, being being a lifelong learner, you've got to, you've got to uh, have good relationships. You've got to, you've got to, you know, give them open-ended projects so they can, it can be student-focused and they can, they can work on these things. And then you've got to coach them through, um, you know, trying hard, um, dealing with mistakes, you know, dealing with fear and stuff like that. And the last thing I'm going to say is this, you've got to, you've got to challenge them. If I, if I give, if I give kids something that's too easy, um, then that's, that's a worthless class. The, the worst thing a kid can say about your class is I didn't learn anything here. Um, that I didn't, I didn't improve myself at all. Um, so you got to give them, you got to give these challenges, meaning, you know, part of your class is going to be nervous about public speaking. You got to give them the opportunity to work on that. Um, and then, then work through it so they can, they can improve themselves. Um, if there's, if there's some kids have issues with commitment, um, you got to give them, you know, some project that they're going to have to work really hard on to get it. Because again, those are the things you remember. Those are the things you're proud of. Um, yeah. So again, long-winded, but I've got a lot of opinions on, uh, on what it takes to be a good educator. And I wish I could say I'm perfect with all these things. I am, I'm obviously not, um, but I'm improving and I'm getting there. Yeah. Love it. Um, excellent, Jay. Well, uh, first of all here, I just want to say thank you so very much for coming on the podcast, um, sharing your story, uh, giving us a, a glimpse into your, your, uh, book that you uh, just came out with. Um, now before I do a quick outro and we, uh, kind of, uh, officially wrap up here, uh, I want to give you the opportunity if there's anything that you feel like hey, I, I, I kind of want to leave this with the listeners or I wish we could have touched on this a little bit. I want to give you the opportunity to share any final thoughts or any final words that you want to kind of just uh, put out there for all of us to uh, glean. Uh, and then uh, a couple other things I'd like to, to uh, gather from you before I do an outro. Um, if somebody wants to purchase your book, um, if they want to reach out to you and invite you to their school district to speak, um, if they want to just reach out to you and pick your brain on some of the things that you shared with us today, where's the best places that you can send people or they can go to get your book, reach out to you, follow you, all of those things. So platform is yours, Jay. Uh, whatever you have for us in closing, 
I'll do a quick outro and then uh, we'll uh, we'll get out of here. So whatever you'd like to share uh, to wrap it up. Uh, I got to share everything, everything I wanted to share. Great questions, by the way. But I just want to say be 100 percent, be present. Um, you know, well, three, three main things in life. If I had to grip, give a graduation speech, it would be about 30 seconds long. And this is it. Um, be nice. Be nice to people. Uh, try hard. And then find find joy while you're being nice to people and trying hard. Those are those are the three things. If you can if you can do that, then I think that's a that's a fulfilling life. Um, when it comes to when it comes to the book, uh, the name of the book is Up to the Challenge. Um, you can go to Solution Tree, their website, um, and I'm not sure if it's probably SolutionTree.com. I'm not sure, but you can buy it there. It's also available on Amazon at, at a much more reasonable price. Um, but um, and then any any bookseller you're looking at, um, and then, but there's a couple different up to the challenges. Make sure it's Jay Jackson that wrote it. Um, and then finally, if I my my goal with the whole thing is to get in front of get in front of teachers and basically model model this process that I that I use to teach performance character. Um, and it's it's a very intentional and um, it's should be an entertaining uh, professional development. Um, that you can use, you can use the tools like right after we're done. Um, if you would like, if you would like a, a professional development or a coaching on this, not training, I did learn that again from SGX coaches. Um, but if you'd like a coaching on that, then you go to solution tree website and then look up, look up Jay Jackson and there's ways you can inquire about that. So, um, I'm, I'm more than more than excited to to share this stuff that feeds my passion and i think it's i think it's something helpful um for any any grade um any any subject so i'm ready to go and then one last question uh social media i mean facebook instagram is there a place that people can follow you there or connect with you on on that side of things jay or is it uh not really where you hang out not really where i hang out um, I do, I do have a Facebook, I do have a Facebook page you reference. That's where you, that's where you got a hold of me. Um, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not upkept as, as much as it, it could be. Um, I've, I've got Instagram, I've got maybe six followers. Um, so I need to, I need to get into the, uh, I, I'm living in the 1900s myself. So I got to get okay. into you, you, you got a life that you're living and you're living it to the fullest, but so the solution tree.com is where people can uh, connect with you in terms of the book and then also reach out to you for, uh, you know, coaching, training, coming to the school and, and things like that. Is that, I just want to make sure it's clear for the listeners. Yes. Yeah, solution, solutiontree.com. Um, and then you got to look up either up to the challenge or Jay Jackson. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, Jay, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on. I'm going to do a quick outro. I'll get you out of here, but uh, really appreciate your time. Okay. Thank you, Quentin. I, I appreciate all the well thought out questions and and uh, and the interview. Fantastic. Awesome. Love it. All of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. Uh, I value you. I appreciate you. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in to a, another episode of, of the podcast. I absolutely love bringing you guys uh, these in-depth, thorough conversations. Uh, with human beings that are, are pursuing more in their lives and uh, positively impacting the world. So thank you so much. Uh, if you would like to connect with me, if you would like to reach out to me, 
Uh, if you'd like to find out more about the podcast or the guests that I'm bringing onto the podcast, there's a couple places that I would encourage you to uh, touch base with me or uh, you can uh, reach out to me or connect with me. Uh, those two places are, first of all, Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast. Uh, send me a DM on Instagram. Uh, give us a follow. And uh, that's a great way to connect. I like to say Instagram is my jam. Um, I'm on there maybe a little too much. But uh, I do think uh, Instagram, along with, like Jay said er earlier, uh, along with other social media platforms, uh, they're in our hands. We can use them for positivity. We can use them for negativity. And I choose to use them uh, for positivity. So please reach out through Instagram. Another great way to connect with myself or reach out um, is through email, curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. If you think you'd be a great guest or if you have a friend or an acquaintance uh, you think would be a great guest or uh, you just want to recommend somebody for the podcast, go ahead, send me an e email, introduce uh, yourself, introduce your friend, your acquaintance, what have you, curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, one huge favor I'd ask of all of you, please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes uh, and also please leave us a five-star rating and review. And then if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can visit my website. And that website is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. We'll catch you guys next time on another episode of Curious and Candid.